as we enter into the Thanksgiving and Christmas season, I want to challenge you with uh, something the Bible challenges us to. And it is this simple challenge uh, that each generation uh, must communicate to the next generation what God has done. That's what I want to just set before you today. That it's something that the, the scripture, and we're going to see this in Psalm 78, but it is just this simple challenge that each generation must communicate to the next what God has done. And we're going to use that thought to kind of frame our discussion today. In Psalm 78, starting in verse 4, uh, it says, we will not hide them from their children, telling to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he has done. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them the children who would be born, that they may arise and declare them to their children, that they may set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments and may not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that did not set his heart, its heart aright and whose spirit was not faithful to God. The scriptural challenge is that each generation must communicate with the next what God has done. Uh, In these verses, Psalm 78, 4 through 8, it repeats this theme over and over. And it talks about fathers, but anytime you see fathers, you just insert and mothers there. Uh, And really what he describes is that the older generations uh, uh, need to communicate with the younger generations what it is that God has done. And you see that there is this challenge to the father's generation. And he, he says it in different ways, and I use the word communicate, but he says tell, make known, declare. And then he describes who they are to speak this to, to tell this to, to make this known to. When he talks about children, uh, there's also that phrase, the generation to come. Uh, And so it describes an older generation communicating with younger generation. And the content of that, he describes it in different ways, but he talks about the works of God, the praises of God, the strength of God. It is what I would describe uh, in my my one statement that we're using to frame this. It is what God has done. Each generation must communicate with the next what God has done. That is the content that they are passing on. And the intent of all of that, and he he says it in different ways, is this, that they would not forget. And it doesn't exactly use this phrase, but this is kind of my synopsis of all of that, that they would not forget, but they would live it out. You know, in fact, there's kind of a little bit of a warning 
in Psalm 78, even though that's not going to be our focus today. Uh, the implication is if each generation does not communicate with the next what God has done, then you have to assume that that next generation will forget and they will not live it out. Um, this week, a group of us returned from a trip to Israel. I'm going to show you a few pictures this morning as kind of relates to what I want to talk about today. Um, we were able to tour with a tour guide uh, 40 different sites with um, many places in between. Um, these are places where God did something. And uh, the community of faith uh, marked those places as a place where God had done a significant work. And kind of as I was reflecting on this and thinking about what I wanted to share today, I, I realized that the significance of all of it is that we would go back to those places and we would be reminded of what it was that God had done in those places. And it, it falls in line with what we're talking about this morning in Psalm 78, that we would not forget it, but we would live it out. Now, I don't have time to talk about, or it's not really even my intent to talk about all those places. Cindy Box was our, our, our group's, um, what do you call this? It's like the secretary historian. The first day when she did such a great job of posting all the pictures and the descriptions, we all just, on Facebook, we just started sharing that. It's like, mm, no, I'm not sharing any of my pictures. They look pretty lame now. We're just sharing Cindy boxes. If you want to kind of see more details about our trip, then uh, you can look at, look at that. Um, but I, I got to thinking about those 40 different places. And for us as Christians, this is all a part of our shared story. These are places for all of us. If you're a child of God, follower of Jesus, that these places are significant. It's, it's a part of your story and my story, all of our stories. And I wanted to share just some of these today to talk about what it is that God had done and how the community of faith has marked those places. Uh, one site from the Old Testament was Mount Carmel. And Mount Carmel uh, was a place where Elijah challenges the prophets of Baal to decide who is God. And uh, you know the story from 1 Kings chapter 18. And the contest was the God who answers by fire will be God. And Baal couldn't answer, but God sends fire uh, to that place. And I, I, I shouldn't say this. I, I love the statue. I'm thinking of all the statues. You know, what are you going to depict on Mount Carmel, and it's, it's, it's Elijah with a knife in his hand. <laughs> I, I think there's like a prophet on his, under his feet. Anyhow, okay, um, pretty graphic. But 
Joshua, I'm sorry, Elijah kills the 850 prophets of Baal. And it was a place where God did a significant work and the community of faith has marked that place. Uh, when we get to the New Testament time, we, we went to Bethlehem and we went to the shepherd's fields and the community of faith has marked it with a, with a chapel there and it was the place where the angels announced to the shepherds that the Savior had been born. And you just, uh, you go to that place and you reflect on what that night must have been like. Of all the people in the world that would be the first to hear of the birth of the Savior, it was those shepherds tending their flocks by night. Uh, another spot we went to was the spot in the Jordan River. Uh, a place that is marked for not only New Testament times but Old Testament times because this is the, the spot that I read from in Joshua 4 when the children of Israel cross the Jordan River to go from outside the promised land into the promised land. This is the place where God stopped the water and they walked across and the men gathered the 12 stones. This is the same spot Hundreds of years after that, that Elijah walked back out of the promised land and the chariot of fire took him up into heaven. And this is the very spot where John the Baptist comes not only preaching in the wilderness, but baptizing. And it is at this spot that Jesus uh, was baptized of John. And uh, this was the third time I was baptized, two of them in the Jordan River. So... Uh, some of these people, their spouses requested that they be baptized uh, and just to see if it might make a change in their life. But, you know, really, only time will tell. Um, but the early church marked this spot. Uh, the Sea of Galilee is obviously a large area and in some respects, it's not a marked space, but it is the place where when you go to, you think about the ministry of Jesus and how the disciples were fishermen in boats on the Sea of Galilee. And you think of not only originally, uh, there's an initial story of Jesus giving a great catch of fish at the start of his ministry, but three years later, he also, there's another miracle of fish that happens on the Sea of Galilee. This is the place in the midst of the storm that Jesus calms the storm. This is the sea. These are the water, not the actual waters. The waters have flown out. But this is the spot where Jesus walks on the water and Peter walks a little while on the water. You know, it's a place that's marked where God did something significant. In the city of Capernaum uh, was, a, was the place where Jesus made his headquarters uh, and it was the synagogue there in the background of this picture where Jesus taught and he performed miracles. And we read of those in the New Testament, so many significant events, a place that's been excavated and marked by the community of faith as a place where God did something significant. We went to a spot on the, what is called the Mount of Beatitudes, and this was the place where Jesus, with a great crowd of people, delivers uh, what we call the Sermon on the Mount, recorded at least in Matthew's account in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Um, you know, just such significant words and is there that 
marks that place. We went to Caesarea Philippi, the place where Jesus, it's north of where Jesus normally would have gone, but it's the place where Jesus, as they traveled in this place, posed the question of the disciples, who do men say that I am? And then eventually he says, but who do you say that I am? And Jesus and Peter in his great confession, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, Caesarea Philippi. If you think of, we move as Jesus' ministry did to the city of Jerusalem, uh, the pool of Bethesda, um, a place where Jesus heals a lame man of 38 years who whose only hope was that someday when the angel stirred the water that he would be the first to go in and somehow he would be healed. But he discovered that in this place that Jesus is the healer. As we push the forward, forward the story, uh, after the Lord's Supper, the night that Jesus gathered with his disciples, he ends up in the Garden of Gethsemane. Still there to this day. Olive trees still there. Gethsemane is a, is a name that means uh, an olive press. It's where they pressed the olives. And Jesus was pressed that night as he faced the cross. And there he prays. And there Judas comes to betray him. Uh, there's so many others. But um, uh, we come to a rock. This is a little bit strange. But uh, when they discovered the place of the Antonio Fortress where Jesus would have been interrogated by Pilate and held by the soldiers, they discovered this rock and the etchings of this rock denote this is the place, this is the place where the Roman soldiers took their prisoners and whipped them to the point of death. They scourged them. This is the scourging rock where Jesus would have been scourged and as they excavated this, they discovered this is the place. Um, uh, you know, there are two places, most prominently, that are thought to be the place of the crucifixion and the empty tomb. I show one of them. This is the garden tomb. There's another place. And, you know, we went to both of them. And... Uh, the, uh, the tour guide <laughs> said, uh, you know, there's two and you can look at it and you can come to your own conclusion. He said, but here's the bottom line is both of the tombs are empty. <laughs> and so Jesus, this is a place where we go and we remember that Jesus was raised from the dead. There's a chapel along the Sea of Galilee called the Chapel of Primacy. This is the place where after Jesus was resurrected and he told his disciples to meet them in Galilee, they went out fishing, according to John's, and they'd fished all night and they'd caught nothing. This is a flashback to three years earlier where they're on the same waters. And this man in the early morning hour stands on the shore and he says, brothers, have you caught anything? Which is really bad when you're a fisherman and you haven't caught anything, Brother Sammy, you know. Uh, and they realize it's Jesus, and he says, cast your net on the other side. And he, he, he replicates the miracle of three years before, and a great catch of fish, 
And you know, as fishermen do, they counted them all. You know, there were 153 that day. Uh, but this is the spot where Jesus, when they come to the shore, that Jesus has already made breakfast for them. Uh, and it's at this spot that Jesus took Peter aside and he said, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord. You know I love you. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord. And it's in this time that Jesus restores and commissions Peter to go and to feed his sheep. Uh, on the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit of God came, they left the upper room and they came, it is believed by scholars, to the southern steps. Uh, this is actually a picture from my first trip, so forgive me. Um, the southern steps, that when they left the upper room, they came to this place, which was the southern steps into the temple. And it was here that Peter delivered his, his sermon on, in Acts 2. And it was here that in the uh, ritual baths that were down the hill from this, that they baptized the 3,000. Uh, the gospel went into the world. And, uh, eventually, Paul encounters Jesus and Paul, for 20 years, is faithful to start churches and to be the first missionary, but eventually is arrested in Jerusalem, ends up in Caesarea by the sea. And uh, scholars believe that this area right in the foreground was the very cell that Apostle Paul was held in, and there's a hearing area to the left, a more open area, that it was there that over the course of two years that the governors and the Roman officials came and he, and he shares the gospel with them and eventually um, when they want to send him back to Jerusalem it was on this ground that Paul appeals to Caesar and the Roman governor said to Caesar you shall go and from Caesarea by the sea Paul sails uh, for Rome. You know, so many places that um, are marked for the significant things that God had done in those places. But really, it's not just that places are marked. Uh, the Jewish people, the early Christians, also marked times on the calendar. There were, there were times that were marked. And so not only do we, do we uh, mark places, but we also mark times, not so much the physical location, but the experience. And many times we put these within our calendar. And, and for the Jewish people, one last picture I want to show. The Sabbath is, is a marked time. And so this morning when I say uh, that today is the first day of the week, marks the day of the resurrection of Jesus, I'm really thinking in my mind that the Jewish Sabbath, which would have been on Saturday was one, one day every seven days that the Jewish people from sundown Friday night until sundown on Saturday night, they would gather. And we, uh, so there's a, there's a Sabbath picture uh, one day as we're walking through the city of Jerusalem. Do I have a Sabbath picture? Don't have a Sabbath picture. Um, um, 
Wow, it was the most impressive of all of them, anyhow. Sorry. Um, but we, we walked through the old city and we came up and there's, there's this long table and the Jewish people in their black garb, very distinctive of the Orthodox, and the children are out playing in the courtyard and the family is sitting there and the adults, they're eating and they're, uh, it seemed as if they were, they were reading scripture and they were, they were singing and every seven days for the Jewish people, uh, uh, they religiously observe the Sabbath uh, as a way to mark what it is that God had done and what he had specifically done for them. Places that are marked, times that are marked on the calendar. I share all that along with 78, uh, Psalm 78, to say, as we enter into Thanksgiving and Christmas, I want to challenge you, and I believe the Scripture challenges us with this, that you be intentional and you even be creative to communicate to the next generation what God has done. I want you to be intentional, and I want you to be creative to communicate with the next generation what God has done. And... There are places where we, we mark what it is that God had done. And I realize most people are not going to ever make a trip to the Holy Lands. Um, uh, we, when we got back, we went to see the kids, I think, the first night. And when I say we went to see the kids, we went to see the grandkids. Let's just be honest here. Uh, but their parents, the parents of the grandchildren. Oh, there's the Sabbath picture. Um, I don't know, it was just, it was, it was very, uh, we stood there for just a while and our tour guide talked to us about that. But you can kind of visualize every week, every seven days, they gather and they read and they sing and they talk about their faith and what it is that God had done. But uh, I, no, I noticed when we got, uh, Amy was visiting with the grandkids, she would sit and she would take out her phone and she would begin to show them pictures and talk to them about the places we had been and what it was, what the significance of that was. And I know the grandkids did not go with us to the Holy Lands, but at least secondhand, Amy was talking to them. There are places that are significant mark as that we talk to the next, next generation what God has done. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to think of some practical things here of just uh, most of us are not going to make it to the Holy Land I would love to take my kids to the ark in Kentucky. And it's a way that we could talk about our creator God and what he has done. If you can't make it to the ark in Kentucky, um, Glen Rose, Texas has an amazing um, creation museum. And my point, there are places that we can go to that we can talk with the next generation about what God has done. But I also think there are times on the calendar that we mark. Thanksgiving this week is one of those things, one of those times. Um, spend some time communicating what you're thankful to, to God in the presence of the next generation this week. I know there's a lot going on and we have food on our minds. 
But the intent of the holiday was to pause, spend some time this week and communicate with the next generation what it is that God has done this Christmas. Spend some time in the midst of all of that celebration, talking, communicating with the next generation what it was that God has done and what the significance of Jesus' birth is. I started this several years ago when my grandkids got old enough to have any idea what was going on and I have this cedar tree in my side yard and Amy decorates the house but I thought listen Papa D needs some space and obviously my space is outside you know I don't have any space inside but I've got I've got this cedar tree by golly and you ought to come by because it's going to be decorated and so it's become tradition that I will take the grandkids out there and I've made um, ornaments out of an, a plastic nativity set and I'm sure to Amy it's tacky. But anyway, that's fine. It's Papa D's, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do the lights on it without anyone's help, okay? And at some point, the grandkids are going to come over, and we're going we're gonna to tell the story of the birth, and we're going to put those ornaments that are the characters from the nativity scene on the tree, and Papa D's going to talk about the birth of Jesus. My mother years ago started having a, a Jesus birthday party. Uh, do it. Do something. Kids need to see it, they need to hear it, and they need to experience it. It is ways that we communicate to the next generation what it is that God has done. I think one of the incredible opportunities we have this year is, and I'm a big chose, the chosen guy. Uh, the series about Jesus. But this year, uh, two weeks from, or a week from Saturday, uh, Christmas with the Chosen. We only have 58 seats, and, but if you don't get one of those, but call and get them. Call the office this week, or we're going to have somebody signing up next week. What an incredible experience. I believe it's going to be. You understand what I'm saying? Find the opportunities. To communicate with the next generation what God has done. And Christmas season is a season that we celebrate the birth of Jesus and we do a lot of other things. But you know there's another time on the calendar which is Sundays. Just like the Jewish people and their Sabbath that we... Um, I'm going to say to you, have your kids in church. Talk with your kids about what they talked about at church. Talk to kids about what it means for someone to be baptized or for us to celebrate the Lord's Supper. Engage your kids as a way of communicating to the next generation what God has done. And you know, so we, we have this shared story that we celebrate as a Christian community, but we also, we can break down this, this principle to personal stories. There are places in your life that you ought to take your family to. And this was a place where God did something in my life. Not the country of Israel, not, no, me. This is the place where God did something significant. Tell the stories. Not so much the shared stories, but the personal stories of what it is that God has done. There are dates on the calendar. There are times for you that you need to talk to the next generation about this is God. And it may have been a hard time, quite honestly. 
It may have been something very difficult you went through, but it's marked on your calendar. Well, talk. Talk about it. Communicate what it is that God has done. I want to close with this. And um, uh, For Father's Day this year, my oldest, uh, Hillary, uh, gave me, I guess it would be called a subscription to StoryWorth. I, I talk to people about this all the time. I don't, nobody's ever heard of it. Anyhow, StoryWorth. It was a Father's Day gift. And with StoryWorth, I get weekly email prompts. And, um, and I, I write in response to this prompt. And um, my understanding, and I can attach pictures and, to my stories that I tell. And at the end of this, after 52 weeks, and quite honestly, I'm on week 22, and I'm running out of material, people. I'm thinking I got 30 more of these articles. I just don't know that I have anything left. But anyhow, don't tell. I'm hoping, Hillary, if you're watching today, I'm sorry, baby doll. It may be a shorter book than you intended, but, you know, at, at the end of this, apparently next Father's Day, it's going to be printed into a book. And I, I don't know. I, I think for Hillary, I don't know about the rest of the kids, but it's like Hillary said, no, Dad, I, I, want, I want you to write down those stories of things. And it's, it's, it's just prompts, and not all of them are particularly spiritual or anything you know what was your fondest childhood memory what was the best day you can remember what was the strangest thing that ever happened to you what choice did you did you make in raising me uh did you ever pull any great pranks uh, let me just say hmm, some of these these this book will not be for uh public consumption i've already kind of yeah i'm regretting some of those but anyhow uh, they're true, but not everything is true needs to be shared. You know, do you possess any special talents? One of them that hit me pretty hard was, what would you want to tell your great-grandchildren? I thought, wow. And I thought, someday my great-grandkids will read their grandmother's copy, <laughs> their grandfather's copy, which are my kids that book of what Papa D wrote in the book and I, I don't get any kickback if you order, order story worth I, it, I'm not promoting it in any sense other than I think it illustrates what I would say today it is an opportunity for me to communicate with the next generation what God has done. And so my challenge as we start the, uh, and I'm going to ask the music team to come on up and before I pray, my challenge is that as we enter into the Thanksgiving Christmas season particularly, communicate with the next generation what God has done. Be intentional. Be creative. Amen. Amen. If you'd stand with me. Father, today, uh, we thank you for Jesus and we thank you for uh, the journey that Jesus set us on, many of us, many years ago. And Father, we thank you for your faithfulness, your goodness, your purpose your provision in our life. And 
Pray that we would celebrate that today, this week, and we would, we would communicate it, Father. <laughs> Don't let us be silent, as Psalm 78 says. No, we will speak it so that they will not forget and they will live it out. And so, Father, just uh, we thank you for all of that and just pray that we'd be faithful to do that, Father. And we pray it in Jesus' name.